most of you know this, but we knew that VBS this year was going to be about Babylon, about the Daniel story. And so uh, we decided that it would be a, a great opportunity for us to study more about Daniel as well this year. And so we thought well, that's what we would do this summer. So we've been going over much of, of Daniel. And I want to thank those of you who uh, preached and uh, over the last uh, three weeks or so when I, when I wasn't here or wasn't preaching, uh, Randall and Scott and uh, Stan, thank you um, uh, for giving me a break, but I am excited to kind of dive in this week to Daniel chapter 4. It's probably a little bit less well-known. In fact, I know it is than, than some of the other stories we've seen so far, but let's see what Daniel 4 uh, has to say to us this morning. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that live throughout the earth, May you have abundant prosperity. And the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me, I am pleased to recount. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his sovereignty is from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was living at ease in my home and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that frightened me. My fantasies in bed and the visions of my head terrified me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me in order that they might tell me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the diviners came in, and I told them the dream. But they could not tell me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and who was endowed with the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that you are endowed with a spirit of the holy gods, and that no mystery is too difficult for you. Hear the dream that I saw, tell me its interpretation." Upon my bed, this is what I saw. There was a tree at the center of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew great and strong. Its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the ends of the whole earth. Its foliage was beautiful, its fruit abundant, and it provided food for all. The animals of the field found shade under it. The birds of the air nested in its branches, and from it all living beings were fed. I continued looking in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and there was a holy watcher coming down from heaven. He cried aloud and said, cut down the tree. And chop off its branches, strip off its foliage, and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from beneath it and the birds from its branches. But leave its stump and roots in the ground with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let him be bathed with the dew of heaven. And let his lot be with the animals of the field and the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a human And let the mind of an animal be given to him. And let seven times pass over him. The sentence is rendered by decree of the watchers. The decision is given by order of the holy ones. In order that all who live may know that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdom of mortals. He gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of human beings. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, Saul, 
Now you, Belteshazzar, declare the interpretation. Since all the wise men of my kingdom are unable to tell me the interpretation. You are able, however, for you are endowed with the spirit of the holy gods. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we gather this morning after a remarkable week. We thank you. Lord, for the children that you brought through here this past week, we thank you for the many who gave and served. I pray, Lord, that you would speak this morning through this text, Lord, a text that may not be well known to many of us, a text that may seem somewhat strange, and yet we believe that each page of Scripture has something to say to us this day. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. I got to tell you, several weeks ago when I first kind of looked over the passages that we would be preaching on during the summer and I saw this particular passage, um, I was not all that excited, quite frankly, to preach on it. Uh, I, I, I didn't know what exactly you would say about this somewhat strange passage. I, I wrestled with it. I thought, well, maybe we should do the, the rest of the chapter as well. But, but I knew that this was going to be long enough. And I saw your eyes glaze over at about verse 2. I knew that, that this was going to be trouble. How do you do this? I even considered, this is true, I even considered having Stan Johnson, who preached last week, I thought maybe having him skip from chapter 2 to 4 so that then I could preach on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego this week and stick him with this hard passage. I was sitting down to email that to you, Stan, when my conscience got the best of me. So, yes, you are welcome. So what exactly do you do with a passage like this? And I I, kind of wrestled with it, and as I started to do a little bit more work, not surprisingly, I suppose, it was clear uh, that, that maybe there was something that this passage has to say to us here in, in 2018 and in, in the northwest side of Indianapolis. And so uh, one of the things that, that it's easy to do is, of course, just to skip right to the dream. But if you do that, you, you, you kind of miss the beginning, which is a pretty important part. It's the beginning where King Nebuchadnezzar says, okay, I have, uh, I want to tell you a story. But he says, the reason why I am telling you this story is because I want you to know the amazing works of God. Right? What does he say? He says, the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me, I am pleased to recount. Right? What is Nebuchadnezzar doing here? Nebuchadnezzar is about to give us a testimony. He is about to testify to how he has seen God at work. Now, this past Wednesday, as some of you know, uh, every Wednesday when we get together as a staff, oftentimes we'll look at the passage for the upcoming Sunday together. It can be very helpful in terms of kind of helping me to understand kind of maybe what we can preach on. And it's always great to hear what other people think about Scripture. But this week I wasn't really in the mood. I don't know if it was just because I didn't like the Scripture passage that much and was just kind of angry and thinking, ah, 
totally should have had Stan do this, or I don't know what it was exactly, but I also know that one of the things that, you know, we've talked about over the last few weeks is, is there's some really great things happening at ZPC, um, but there are also some of these kind of strange challenges that we have been faced with, and if you've ever gone through a time like that in your life, you know that, that, that it's easy when you're going through obstacles to just begin to focus only on those things. Right? It's easy to just kind of think about the things that don't seem to be going right. And you can get caught up in that cycle pretty quickly. But one of the things, of course, that folks talk about, and I have found to be true in my life, is in those moments, one of the best things that you can do is to sit back, to create some space, and to say, what are the things in my life, in our lives, that we see God doing, where we see God at work? Where are the places that we can testify so, so, so we did that. So I brought in Psalm 107. Uh, Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Right Now I didn't continue it, which I should have, because it goes on to say, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. In other words, what it's saying is don't just kind of be grateful, but then Say something about it. Tell others about what you are grateful for. And so we created about, I don't know, maybe 30 or 45 minutes where we said, let's just go around and say, where do we see God working? And, and so we began to do that. I kind of started with a family that I know of at ZPC who's been coming here for about a year. And, and just what a blessing they have been and, and how remarkable it is how God puts people in your life or in the life of the church at, at just the right time. And I, I thought about that and then I came up with another one because when you're the senior pastor, you can just do whatever you want in those staff meetings. And so I, I said, there's another blessing I want to share, which is, which is this, which is at the Jeremiah house. You guys, most of you know the Jeremiah house. It's the, the house next door that we've, over the last three years or so, have, have opened up for recovering addicts that they can go and, and, and hopefully give them a new lease on life. And for the first time, I think, since its genesis, it is completely full right? Which at least as of Wednesday, I don't know about today, but as of Wednesday, it was completely full, right? And so I was like, I want to celebrate that. This is, this is fantastic. And, and then someone else said, well, you know, what I want to celebrate is that every Monday when I come in here, there are a group of ladies, and maybe this should be a lesson to the men, a group of ladies, and they are always here praying. I don't know if you know that or not. They're here praying. They're praying for the church. They're praying for those who are struggling, and they are here. And he just talked about what an encouragement it is when you come in and you see people nobody else knows who are there and who are praying. And someone else said, well, you know what? I want to I thank God because I've seen there's so many of our congregational members who are always willing to step up, especially in times of kind of staff change. They're willing to kind of fill the gap. And what a great joy that is. And I want you to know that sometimes, you know, it's easy to think, well, the reason why we like this or the only thing we think about when we have congregation members who, who take the lead is it helps to further the mission. And it does. But I also want you all to know this. What an encouragement it is to the staff when there are folks who we know they are not getting paid a dime and they are here to further the work of God. It is a remarkable encouragement to us. And so we, we continued to kind of talk about that for a while. And then, of course, VBS kind of popped up. And so we started talking about all the things that have been going on at VBS this week. And, you know, about the kids who, who weren't from ZPC and, 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 and who were able to come. And they got to hear the story of Daniel and the story about God's love. And, 
Then we, um, then someone talked about some of the uh, some of the volunteers, uh, some of them like these high schoolers. Hopefully, you saw the high schoolers that were that were up here, and this kind of great joy. They were high schoolers who were leading pa, leading groups. They were high schoolers who were helping out with the with the drama that we had going on, telling the the Daniel story, and and some of these one seven members. I can remember holding them like this, and they've made that transition to where they understand that discipleship is not just about hearing something, but it is about actually serving in some way. And one of, some of the folks that I get most excited about, uh, every, every night before VBS even starts, started at 6 o'clock, at 5 o'clock, it may have been my favorite time of the whole night. Not surprising, it's when we ate. And so... Every night we would get together at 5 o'clock. You can see this here. This is a group. This was all set up beforehand. And there was this wonderful meal. This is what has made me think that maybe uh, we should do VBS year-round. And, and you would come in at 5 o'clock and Christy Baugh uh, and her whole crew, uh, and they would, they would sit there and they would help. But what I really love, if you look at the next slide here, I love the group of volunteers who led. Now, I, I want to be careful how I say this. But it may surprise you to know that none of these people had children who were in VBS. You, get, you catch where I'm going here? But these folks and others, many of them are seasoned saints who came simply because they wanted to serve and care for those who were serving for the kids. And to see them as they came and the love that they had. You know, you have folks like Harry Miller, Millie, he's not in there. Harry Millie, I mean, that guy will talk to anyone, whether you want him to or not. I, he will talk to you. And to see Harry going around from table to table, right, and talking with people and loving, you know, seeing these little kids and just, I mean, it was remarkable. It was such a great joy. I loved seeing that. And then we continued. I mean, something else that, that, you, that you may not know is that, is that we had this prayer. We had, we had two, again, women, men, two women who every night, right, as we were up here kind of rehearsing stuff while everything was going on, they, 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 they were right over here sitting down and they were praying by name for each child and for each person, adult who was helping, right, by name. And we had this prayer box, right? And so one of the staff members mentioned this prayer box. And she said, you know, you kind of just think, okay, well, you know, kids are going to put in a prayer and it's going to be like, you know, I'll pray for my stub toe or something like that. And, but there was like, it was like, I mean, I mean, deep, heartfelt prayers about a, a family, some friends who were, who were going through a relational difficulty and, and praying for that family. Even my own daughter, and I know that there were others like this, my own daughter who put in a prayer request for her grandma who's battling <clears throat> cancer. And you, you think about this. And you think, here's the thing, here's what I want you to know, is that not only is it a blessing to think that these children think, hey, you know what, God can do something about this, but they put it in the box knowing that there were going to be people that this church cared for them and was going to love them and pray for them, that it mattered that much. And man, when we were done with that 30 to 45 minutes, I'm telling you what, man, I was a changed person 
person because we decided to take some time to create some space to give testimony to who God is and what God is doing in our midst. And so I encourage you this morning, if you are going through a difficult time, if you find it easy to focus on the obstacles, I don't think God is calling us to ignore everything and to act like, be a Pollyanna and act like everything's perfect. But I do know that God says, take some time, give thanks and see the work that I am doing in your midst. We don't oftentimes think about King Nebuchadnezzar as being this example for us, but in this moment, he absolutely is to reflect on how God is at work. But we still have the dream. And what he wants us to see is how this dream has shaped him. It's a strange dream. He dreams that there is this mighty tree, this powerful tree, this flourishing tree that can be seen from the ends of the earth. And this tree is there, and, 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 and everyone's getting care under it. It's this beautiful scene, it seems. And then a voice comes down from on high that says, cut this tree down so that it is nothing but a trunk and roots. And then this dream, I mean, it takes this almost kind of psychedelic turn where all of a sudden then the tree, it seems like, is human. But then the human turns into an animal for seven seasons. And then the voice comes down from on high yet again and says that this has all been done that you might know who is truly sovereign, who is truly God. And so Nebuchadnezzar wanted to know what the dream meant. So he sent out to the diviners, the enchanters, the Chaldeans. He said, tell me, please, what in the world does this dream mean? And, and none of them could do it. And so he brings in Belteshazzar, a.k.a. Daniel, and says, you know, Daniel, you are the best. Will you please tell me exactly what this dream means? And that's how we end. Remember, I didn't want to really bore you guys by doing the whole rest of the passage. You'll have to wait till next week for the actual interpretation. But what exactly does this mean for us? Well, clearly, again, the main image is this tree. And one of the things that's been talked about when it comes to this passage is that you have this tree that is flourishing and mighty and amazing. Everything is going great. It seems incredible. And yet, it's being chopped down to show who is truly God. That what is perhaps happening here, and this is important for us as American Christians to understand, is that just because something is mighty and powerful and flourishing does not necessarily mean that it is within the will of God or doing what God desires. That's important for us as people. It's important for us as a church. 
to always remember, one of the things that we typically do is we think if something is really flourishing and is powerful and is mighty and is doing great, well, that must be of God. And what we begin to see here is that actually it could at times almost be the opposite, that there are times when the more prosperous, the more things are going, the more flourishing that something is, including a church, including you as an individual, including whatever it may be, there is a chance that actually You might be moving further away from God and what God desires for you to do and who God desires you to be. Right? One of the quotes I came across this week was one oftentimes attributed to Abraham Lincoln. It says this, nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you want to test a man's character, give him power. Another way to say that is allow him to prosper, him or her, to prosper or flourish. That oftentimes, only when that happens, do you really begin to see who that person is. And why is that? Why is it that when we begin to prosper or flourish, that we easily begin to lose sight of who God is? So that God would have to show who God truly is. Well, there's probably lots of different reasons. I think that one of the reasons is because when you get more powerful, when you get more prosperous, when you begin to flourish, it is easy for your worldview to begin to get skewed. So that you begin to not see things, not see the rest of the world as it actually is. I love the honesty of Nebuchadnezzar. He says, while I was living at ease in my palace, while everything was going, right? As if just everything, probably everywhere was going well. And if not, who cared? Because I was living at ease in my palace. Now, why is it that Flourishing and power and wealth can oftentimes skew our worldview. Well, I think that one of the reasons that we see in this passage is because of the fact that the more powerful and the more flourishing and the more wealthy and the more all of those things one gets, the less likely he or she or the church is to be challenged by anyone. You notice that in this passage, this is, this is great. I, 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 love, I, I, I love this dream. Someone has said, you know, I mean, think about this for a moment. This dream, it's actually not that hard to interpret. If you're a diviner or an enchanter or a magician, you have one job. One job. Interpret my dream. And so there you are. And you are listening to the mighty, to the powerful, to the flourishing Nebuchadnezzar who leads over this mighty and powerful and flourishing Babylonian empire. And there is a dream. And in the dream, there is this mighty, powerful, flourishing tree that is chopped down. I just don't know, King. This is a good one. I think you may have stumped us on this one. These are either the dumbest interpreters of all time, or they are scared to death to tell the truth. How 
often, the mightier, the more powerful you become, the more flourishing you are, that you are less and less likely to be surrounded by those who will challenge you and say maybe what you're thinking, maybe the way you're seeing things is not true. We see it all the time in the business world. If you've been in the business world, you see that as you get higher, it is harder and harder for people to tell you the truth. This is just what happens. People don't challenge you all that much, right? I see it even in the church, right? I, I, I see that, you know, I mean, it's fascinating. When I, when I talk to, I've, I've talked to a couple of pastors who have been at larger churches. This was especially true when I was at a smaller church. And whenever I would talk to them, they're really, I mean, they, they, were, they were the thing. They were the stuff, right? And so, you know, it was always, if we were talking, it was always like, how might I help you? There was never a thought, I mean this, that I might ever offer anything to them or challenge them at all. And here's what's fascinating, right? Then I go from a church to about 35 people to one of five, 600, whatever we are here at ZPC. All of a sudden, I'm brilliant. All of a sudden, right? I mean, if people, you know, they may come to me for a question. Guess what? I am as dumb now as I was then. But simply because of the fact of it seems like you're flourishing, right? Or you've got all this stuff. All of a sudden then people want to listen more, right? And that's where you begin to surround yourself with whether you want to or not. It is what happens. I'm not debating this. I'm just saying this is what happens. And one of the things that we have to be mindful of then, especially in an area like ours, is that's what happens also, right? We talked about this a few weeks ago, right? When you surround yourself in the neighborhood that you live with the kind of cars that you're driving, all these kinds of things, you just begin to think this is just the way it is. And you are rarely challenged by anyone that maybe this isn't the way it is everywhere else, right? What did we talk? We talked about spring break and how you just begin to believe, yeah, everyone takes spring break, right? No, they don't. Not everyone goes to Tahiti for spring break. Just you do. And the community of which we are a part, right? And so I don't say that as a way of trying to make us feel guilty or bad or, oh, we shouldn't go to Tahiti this year. You know, I say, Bora Bora, I say it. Simply as a way of kind of being mindful, as followers of God, being mindful of the fact that this is what happens and that we need to be aware of it, right? So the reality is that, that as we flourish, as we, are, as, we have, um, as we have plenty, whatever it may be, we just begin to get challenged less and less, which means we may not be as mindful of the things that are going on outside of our branches of our tree. Now, let's be honest. This isn't just because other people aren't telling us what we really need to hear. See, another part of the reason why our worldview gets skewed is because of the reality that most of us don't really want to be challenged. We don't want to feel bad. We don't want to think about the things, fact that, that, that things aren't so great everywhere. We'd prefer to just stay in our little tree nest or our little tree home or tree house, and we'd prefer to just sit there. And not be challenged. I think we see this in this story. I, I, I find it fascinating to see how it is that Nebuchadnezzar goes about having his dream interpreted. It reminded me of a story that I will admit does not paint me in a great light, but I'm going to say it anyways. Um, it was back when I was college, in college. I was dating a young lady. And honestly, she, uh, she was fine, but she, she wasn't a great listener. And she didn't really listen very well. And even when she did, she didn't always give the greatest of advice. And so I just didn't really, I didn't really trust her that much. So whenever I had an issue, a real issue that I needed to talk about, I went to somebody else who, who was a good listener. And I, I trusted this person's wisdom. And 
Finally, uh, uh, my girlfriend, she just got fed up with it. And she said, why don't you ever tell me these things? Why are you always telling this person over there? And so I, I thought I was being helpful by giving an analogy. I said, it's like this. I said, let's just say that you're on a football team. And you have one last offensive drive. And you need to score a touchdown. And you are in great need of a running back. And you could either, this was back in the 90s, early 90s, you could, you could either have Emmett Smith, the preeminent running back in the NFL at the time, or you could go down to the Pee Wee League football team and grab an eight or nine year old. I said, This person that I usually talk to, that person is Emmett Smith. And you, now, I realize it was not sensitive, but it was true. My question is this. If you're King Nebuchadnezzar, you know who the Emmett Smith of dream interpreters is. You know, because he's already interpreted a dream for you. He already did that back in chapter 2, I think it was. Right? He could have cut right to the chase. He was all-powerful. But he decided to go to the peewee league of, uh, of dream interpreters. Why do you think he did that? I think there's only one reason. That again, Nebuchadnezzar, I don't think he was stupid. I think he knew exactly what the dream was. And I think he was hoping that somebody who he was convinced might not have to tell him the truth, but who might tell him what he really wanted to hear, that one of them would step up and lie to him and tell him exactly what he wanted to hear. And when they didn't, only then did he finally say, all right, let's bring in Emmett Smith. And that's exactly what he did. We are all, all of us are prone towards not wanting to be challenged. And the wealthier or more prosperous you are, the more likely you are to be able to have it like that. And so one of the things then that we see remarkably in this passage is this just sign of what happens and the dangers that are oftentimes accompany us whenever it is that we are flourishing as individuals or as a congregation. And so this is what Daniel does then. Daniel comes in, and this is one of the things that I want you to hear, is that there is an opportunity that we all have as individuals, and as a congregation, and it is a gift. And that gift is to never allow this church or our community, the neighborhoods in which we live or the businesses with which we work, whatever it is, to never become so content with what we have that we forget that there are those who are outside of the tree who need to have salvation and wholeness and, and, and shalom brought to them, and that there will always be the temptation. This is nobody's fault. It's human nature, just as we see with Nebuchadnezzar. There will always be the temptation to just simply be comfortable and to be cozy and to just stay right there. And we, as the church, as one of the very, nobody else is reading Daniel 4 in this world. Let's be honest. We have an opportunity to hear these words and to remember 
that we have a call. And a part of that call is to never allow ourselves or this community or anyone to be just content with what we have. But to always know that we are called to look outside of our comfortable branches and to discover where is God at work and how might we help with what God is doing out there. But here's what's important. We don't do it by just trying to tell everyone and making them feel guilty about what they have. You do not go over to your neighbor, I would suggest, and say, wow, this is a really great car. That must have been pretty pricey. Have you seen the orphans in Africa lately? (laughs) That is not going to work. Right? One of the ZPC here, and in frequent conversations he has with me, he brings up 1 John 3.18. 1 John 3.18, which simply says, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show us. Let us show them the truth by our actions. In other words, it's not by telling. It is by showing that we begin to help others to understand and to embrace the gift. Those of us who are flourishing, those of us who have a certain amount of power, we have an opportunity and a gift to be able to go and make a difference. And the way that we help others to see that is not by trying to make them feel bad or by shaming them. It is by our own willingness to lead by our example. And that is always costly. Think about Daniel. We'll see this next week. Daniel was scared to death to have to tell him the truth. But it was only Daniel. What does King Nebuchadnezzar say? King Nebuchadnezzar says to Daniel, he says that you have been given a gift, a spirit by the gods. I thought that that spirit meant wisdom to be able to interpret. I don't think that's what it means. I think what it means is you have the wisdom. You have not only the wisdom, but you have the courage to say something. You have the courage to actually live differently, even if it costs you your own life. I love that, right? It was a reminder to me of what we decided to do several weeks ago. And I I want us to know that this was an important step, it seems to me. When we said that we are going to take half of the surplus, $55,000 almost, and we are going to give it beyond our branches, we are going to give it to those in Indianapolis who are trying to, to not go back in jail again, to help them, to love them, to care for them. When we said we're going to give it to people who are definitely outside of our branches, in Syria, those who are going through war torn places, we have said we are going to refuse. It would have been safer and more comfortable comfortable and perhaps even smarter to just use it right here. But we said, no, we are going to go out there and we are going to work for people beyond our own branches because only then do we really know that we are following what God has called us to do. It's not just when things are going well for me or for us. It is when we always attach how things are going for us with helping the other. Right, this week I had this great opportunity to talk to a, a ZPC or a retired person, retired guy. He's, he's, uh, he's, he, he volunteers at a cha- as a chaplain at, uh, at Pendleton Penitentiary. And, and he was talking about how a few weeks ago he was there in the chapel and things were coming over, the walkie-talkie or whatever it is that he has. And he said as it was coming through, it became evident later on, he actually was asked to leave, I think, the penitentiary, that there had actually been that day, while he was there, someone who had been killed in the penitentiary. And I thought about that at first, and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. But then as I kept thinking about it, I was like, you know what? I mean, this guy, he's retired. Like, he could be anywhere right now. He could be in Tahiti right now. 
He could be almost anywhere. He could be at home. He could be anywhere. But at a state pen where there's a chance that something could happen. I was thinking, like, I'm wondering, like, how many of us as we're thinking about retirement or, you know, even here in my 40s or 30s or 20s when you're meeting with your financial advisor, how many of you are like, I just want to make sure that I have enough time to get to the state pen so that I can give? That doesn't happen very often. Now, it's a lot easier for me to, like, sit there and kind of just cast aspersion on how are you spending your money or how are you spending your time. It's a lot harder for me to lead by example and to say that I'm going to go and I'm going to simply spend my time in a place with people I may not know and begin to love them and care for them because this is the call that God has made in my life. One of the things I love about VBS is about the reality that when it comes to VBS, at least for as long as I've been here, and I'm, I feel quite certain for, for, for much longer even than I had been here, that it's not just about what we do right here, right? That there's always some sense of remembering that we are called to be servants elsewhere, right? So one of the things that we did this year then is, is we were raising money for, for, for Haiti, for, for kids in Haiti through World Vision. And, and basically for, uh, for the money, I think it's for 100 bucks, every 100 bucks that we raised, something like that, it was, we were going to feed a child, maybe it was 10 bucks, I can't remember, we are going to feed a child, uh, but not only were we going to feed a child, we were going we to be giving them seeds that then would produce fruit, right? Drought-resistant seeds that would produce fruit that they could then go and also sell at a market, right? And so, so we were going to do that. We were going to try to do it for 210 kids, which meant that we needed to, to raise um, $2,100, something like that. And um, so, so that's what we did. And so we kind of we worked on that. We kept, we kept trying to kind of get our kids to do that. And and it was great. We ended up raising over almost $4,000. So we ended up raising like 30, over $3,700 um, from these kids kind of bringing in. Now, look, I understand. Some of them, you know, I'm sure just brought it in because that meant that they got to slime Queen Kiki and Leo the Lion. I understand that. But I also know that a part of what we were doing at that age was beginning to shape them into saying, that not only is all this Ishtar gate and all of these people here in order to serve you, but there is always a connection between what you are doing here and the world that goes on far beyond our branches. And I'm telling you, to watch my three-year-old come through the main doors over there and to have one or two dollars that we would give her and to see her waddle very excitedly over where she could drop it off. I want you to know I was so thankful to be a part of a congregation in which we are teaching these children from three years on up that what they are doing, that it is always connected, that our faith is always connected, not just with what God has done to you, but with, as we've said before, helping the kingdom of God come on earth as it is in heaven, each and every day trying to bring more and more of God's kingdom. Someone was leaving and they told me that their daughter, that they have these three, this is, of course, this is very us. They have this, these three little banks, right, for their children. I think it's brilliant, right? One you save, uh, uh, you know, one you put in to save, one you put in to spend and one you put into give away. Thank you. Yeah, that's the one. Does that, does that say something about me? I forgot about the one to give away. Thank you for making me feel guilty and shaming me, Liz. Okay. But she said that, so clearly she gave the give one, but that their little kid said, can I, can, I want to take some of the money that we have in the spend and I want to, I want, can we give that into the, into the Haiti? 
And I thought, that's exactly, let us never underestimate the power that we have to teach our children what it means to be about the kingdom of God. Sisters and brothers, this is a a strange passage in many ways, and yet it seems to me it speaks to us today. We have an opportunity to be a gift to our community. And so my hope and my prayer is that we will be that gift That we will take in whatever way it is, whatever, if it's our gifts, if it's our talents, if it's our treasure, however it is that we are flourishing and that we would use that for those beyond our own branches. And that as we continue to do so, that this community and this world will look more like the kingdom of God when the sun sets than when the sun rose. May we do so. And in so doing, may we know that God goes with us. Amen? And let's pray. God, we give you praise for this morning, for this whole week, and for this passage. Lord, it is easy for us to grow comfortable. And so we pray that you would never allow us to be comfortable. But that you would help us to see the gift that we can be to our neighbors, to our community to those who live far away from the branches that hang down from our tree. That they may know who is sovereign, who is God. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. Please stand.